a few times. It's a neighboring state, and we're, we're all friends, right? Because sometimes I hear things about these rivalries, but I know that God's people come from every tribe, people, nation, language, and that crosses not just national lines, but even state lines. Well, um, looks beautiful in here this morning. Looks like Christmas, even though it feels like September out there, but thank you for having me. Um, I'm gonna, in a moment, I'm going to have a prayer that this would be the Lord's words and, and His thoughts to our hearts, not, not our own, not a speaker's, but before we open with prayer, I have to share two facts with you that I'll put up on the slide in a moment that'll give us a sense of our deep need for prayer and how serious this media use issue is. Um, but before I do that, this is the last, what is it, December 11th. This is my last Media on the Brain seminar on the calendar for 2021, which means when the calendar turns and I speak again in January, it'll be the 10-year, it just dawned on me as I was sitting there, the 10-year, we could turn that one off, guys, the 10-year anniversary of doing Media on the Brain seminars. It's like, man, time flies. That 10 years went fast. Little baby I had at the time is now... 10, going to be 11 next year. Um, so, you know, as I was thinking about that, we, we, we have to keep doing these seminars, don't we? You know, I thought early on in this, hey, you know, let's, let's have the big wake-up call together, and then everybody's enlightened and informed about the dangers of worldly media and the benefits of using it as a tool to God's glory when we do it right, and we can just, you know, turn the page on this and move on to talking about other things. And here we are 10 years later, and I think it's a deeper issue now than it was 10 years ago, isn't it? Um, in fact, between 2012 and 2016, the percentage of Americans that did five hours or more of screen time per day doubled. So it was already back in 2016 that our ministry was like, okay, we're not only going to keep doing media on the brain, but we had to add an additional media seminar called The Media Mind. That came out in 2019. You'll get little sprinkles of that today, but we're going to mostly focus on media on the brain. The difference being the media mind is more dealing with social media. You'll hear a little bit about that this morning. Child development, family dynamics, smartphone addiction, mental health, nature exposure, relationships, uh, all sorts of things. We got like antisocial media, digital pharmacia. Those are some of the names in the Media Mind series, The Disconnected Childhood, How to Be Human Again. In fact, you heard the scripture reading, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, the scripture reading when we do the Media Mind seminar just takes us straight back to Genesis 1 and how God made us in his image. And that we have to kind of recapture what it means to be human again. So we'll touch on some of those themes this morning. But I thought it would be kind of fun to just share that moment with you guys. This being going on 10 years. I know it wasn't until the summer of 2012. So we're not quite there. But So we um, have this problem that Apple identified 10 years ago. They had a neuromarketing expert named Martin Lindstrom. And he was studying the brains of people and their use of these devices. And what he found in his research on the brains of iPhone users is that what happens is you have a very specific relationship with your iPhone. What we learned from a very recent study we did was that there were actually two activations happening in the brain, neural activations, for people who are in love with their iPhones. Did you hear what I said? He goes, ah, in love. Because we actually realized from the study that the same area of the brain that is activated when you are 
in love with someone is activated when you are in love, in love with your iPhone. Now, I use it. I like it. Do you like technology? I like using media. We were mentioning the uh, satellite networks, amazing facts. Praise God. In fact, here's an interesting fun fact for you. 1844 was the year of the first digital media device ever invented, the first electronic media device ever invented. 1844, you're thinking, no way. What, what electronic media device was there in 1844? It was the telegraph. The telegraph tapped away on the wire with Morse code, the first me- text message in human history. And you know what the words were? What hath God wrought? Yeah, and, and I've been sharing that since starting Media on the Brain to help us realize that this isn't all a message against all use of technological tools. Otherwise, are we going to undo Gutenberg? I mean, these things are ways to get the truth out. And God foresaw that prophecy points to 1844, as most of you probably know. But while we like these tools, while we want to use them to God's glory, are we crossing a line here when we move from like to love? <laughs> We're in love with our iPhones. Sherry Turkle found at MIT that when people lose their smartphone, that it hits them emotionally the same way that a de- the death of a loved one hits them emotionally. Loved one. It's a loved one. Or, or some have said, actually, it's beyond that. It's an appendage. It is a part of me. The two have become one. I guess that's a love relationship. So um, that's slide number one on why we need to ask the Lord to speak to us today. Because if we're in love with something, and if we are, next slide, George Barna, addicted to it. He says, America's number one, most widespread, most serious addiction today is media use. It's not alcohol. It's not nicotine. It's not not any of the narcotic drugs. It is video games, pornography, social media excesses. And that's a tool. These, eh, let's chuck them. But, you know, maybe... You promoted this event on social media. I don't like being on there, personally. We'll talk a little bit about the mental health dynamics and how some people, you're going to be good just getting off of it all together. But um, and we could talk about big tech and the nefarious agenda there as well, but I'll save that for the media mind. But as we pray, let's ask the Lord to break through our own opinions. I include myself in that. Like, I've got to hear his voice when I speak and be convicted and led and redirected and reset in terms of my media use. And so when we pray... Pray this sincerely, like with me, you know, that we want to hear God's voice and we want to say to him, this is in the Lord's prayer, thy will be done. Will you pray that with me this morning? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are blessed to be in your house of worship today because Jesus is our all in all, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, or at least that is our desire. And maybe we've faltered and failed and been distracted and We can't say that with sincerity that we've been following him as we ought. And so we just come before you with confession of heart, each one of us knowing our our sin before you is ever before you. But create in us a clean heart, O God. Give us a right and renewed spirit, a new heart. And our deep desire is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That you would come into our lives as our Lord. Yes, as our Savior, they will call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And we know that salvation goes to forgiveness and the blood of Jesus being poured out at the cross, and it also goes to the healing of our very 
sin-sick souls. So we just pray for your, your presence, for your voice to speak, and that it would not be a speaker's thoughts or our own preferences that rule this morning, but thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin with some statistics for you. Nielsen Media found in 2018 that the average American was consuming, are you ready to turn to Revelation 13 at that point? 666 minutes of media per day. This is not a fulfillment of the number of the beast. In this case, it's just a large number and a very ominous number, so I find it an interesting place to start. That's a lot of minutes. Did anybody do the math? That's a lot of hours. Kids aged 2 to 5 now spend more than 32 hours a week on average in front of a TV screen. Ages 8 to 18, we're looking at five hours a day on TV, two and a half hours listening to music. Some of these are a few years old, but the TV numbers have stayed elevated, even as social media, video gaming, online use, Netflix all increased. The average young person racks up 10,000 hours of video gaming by the age of 21. And so you think about, have you ever heard the study about geniuses and who are the masters in their field, like the best of the cream of the crop in their particular trade or art or, or, or business? And it says all of these guys or gals spent at least 10,000 hours mastering their talent. 10,000 hours to become the best at something or 10,000 hours frittered away in the video game counterfeit reality. Five million gamers in the United States are spending more than 40 hours a week. That's a full-time job playing video games. And that was unthinkable before COVID and before uh, unemployment benefits and, 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 and uh, non-essential and you know, people losing their job and vaccine mandates, people losing their job. And it's like businesses are looking for jobs. There's a lot of people with a lot of time right now. How much of that is going into media versus Bible study? Oh, look at this. Christianity Today. I don't have a slide on everything, but sometimes things come to the memory. We ask the Holy Spirit to speak. This is a big moment. Christianity Today in the summer of 2020, right after the lockdowns, asked... It was May, actually. How, how much Bible reading people were doing in the, in the Christian community. And they found that it dropped nearly 50% during the time of people being in the stay-at-home orders. Nearly 50% drop in Bible study among Christians. So what was increasing during that time? More media, more entertainment. So uh, more stats, though. Total screen time for the average American child is over 53 hours per week, nearly 8 hours per day. 96.6% of toddlers, so we're going to talk about that more in just a minute, but we got these little ones using mobile devices. And the American Academy of Pediatrics, very responsibly, uh, very conservatively actually, has said we shouldn't have any media use before age two. Um, other psychiatrists and researchers and child development experts have a lot more higher standards than that, but this is the bare bones minimum, like zero screen time before age two. But we're doing it, almost all of us, 96.6%. Um, they did a study where they found the majority of parents have zero interaction at all with their children when their preschool age kids are on their digital device. The majority of parents, it's not like a little less interaction than we should have. You know, it's not like substantially less, like very little eye contact and communication of, of love and touch. It's not like half the time. It's not like we're mostly distracted. We're talking zero interaction at all during those times of childhood media use. That is detrimental to the development of a generation. Teens now consume nine hours of entertainment media per day. Now, a lot of times people will be like, we got to get a seminar on media at our church so that the speaker will speak to our young people, which is true. It's needed. Nine hours on top of schoolwork for entertainment and social media, but check that one out. 
parents are at nearly eight hours per day. Oh, isn't that something? So we all, we all need to listen and heed the voice of God in our lives. The average child will spend more time watching TV by the age of six than he will spend in conversation with his father in his entire life. Is that not tragic? And, and a lot of those stats are driven up because of the absence of fathers, which is a whole other social problem and psychological, emotional, spiritual uh, burden on people. But I'll tell you, we have a father in heaven. And so we can break free from all of this, can't we? And he adopts us as his children. So we could say, okay, this is, this is an issue. The family dynamics that teenagers are twice as much on their smartphones than talking to their parents at all. All talking to parents combined, twice as much on the smartphones. And it goes both ways. Parents are twice as much watching Netflix than all quality time with their children combined in America today. And all of these numbers are pre-COVID numbers that I'm sharing with you, by the way. It's only worsened, obviously, in the last two years. Can you believe we're almost two years into this now? But um, as we're thinking about these things, uh, just, uh, German friends uh, told me they have a, a word in Germany called phonosapien, because we're on our devices so much that we're like this all the time. And so for years, in my seminars, I was like, the evolutionists will have to update their charts, and I kind of explained it. And then finally, somebody came up with the chart that if you, if you hold to the erroneous notion of evolution from lower life forms, then we're going to have to be coming back down. Not just because we're standing in this posture, but literally, we're getting hyperkyphosis at higher rates, even among young people, because the muscles reshape the spine when it's educated to do that all the time. A forward head syndrome, forward head posture. And that's not good, obviously, for respiration, for digestion, when we're crunched up and we're sitting all the time or we're hunched all the time, you don't get as good of oxygen content to the blood, to the brain. Digestion is hampered. And that's why we're told, you know, the first lesson to be taught in the school is, uh, is posture. You know, like, welcome to the class, kids. This is how we sit. You know, this is how you breathe. This is how you speak and how you exercise the diaphragm. And those are important things. So um, hopefully we can get up and move around uh, later after lunch and, uh, and practice that a little bit. But uh, here we go with, uh, with the physiological effects. There, there are others, in addition to that, uh, dangers, like actual hazards that were taking place where people were walking into oncoming traffic on their devices because we're just walking around like this everywhere. And they had to add stoplights to the, to the curb in many places in the big cities in the Western world because they said, you know, we have had too many Pedestrian traffic incidents where people walk in to oncoming traffic, there's a bus coming. Pedestrian deaths even. And in Austria, uh, they put pads on the lampposts um, so that in case people walked into the lamppost because they were on their device. I don't know if anybody speaks uh, these foreign languages, but anyway, in America, we, we, we go big. We're like hundreds of thousands of federal dollars are going to be spent on figuring out how to get an alert, a notification on my phone when I am approaching the curb. So this is a whole new way of being human, isn't it? I, when I was five, I learned from the kindergarten teacher, now when you come, I would walk to school, and when you come to the street where the cars are there, you, what's, you were going to say it, stop, look, and listen, right? It's like we're losing that, and we're losing other things. I don't remember if I have the slides on this one. I've been doing the media mind. Yeah, there it is. This is from the media mind. Is that not sad? I thought this was fake. I thought this was satire, like somebody was pulling my leg and putting together a fake, because there's no way we would do that, right? 
We know how these devices are affecting little children, the hyperstimulation in their developing brain, educating them to a hyperstimulating world so that everything else is boring by comparison and intention spans drop dramatically because they're grasping and looking for activity in this slow-paced world. Let me quote from The Desire of Ages for you. It says, the more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement, and the more in harmony with what? With nature. The better it is for their spiritual and mental development. And that's true in the science and the research. I've got a couple hours of content on child development in the media mind, and it's all proven true. So what the American Academy of Pediatrics was saying was just the beginning, but now we've got the newborn. This is legal in America, the newborn iPad activity seat. And then, as if we forgot how to be human enough already, here's some more. The iPoddy for iPad. We, we induct our little ones into a virtual plane of existence, a screen-based place for their mind to become accustomed to the world, to be incentivized to do what we want them to do, gamifying the process, you're making video game addicts at 18 months old. Video game addicts in the making. Because everything's going to have a digital reward associated with it. Even schools have gone this direction. Some have. Some are going the other direction. And going to more, uh, you'd call it more liberal schools, I guess, like nature-based. I'm talking in the world. Like, we have our method. It's the blueprint. You can call it truth. But um, like Waldorf schools, you ever heard of those? They, they lean a little new age in some things, so uh, not to baptize and endorse everything, but they're like chalk and chalkboards, no media, pencil and papers. We're gonna do gar- <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do gardening. You're fine, sister. No worries. Um, we're gonna do we're gonna get the kids outdoors in nature. Uh, that's beautiful. That's wonderful, right? That's God's blueprint and method. And then others are becoming more and more immersed in what's called ed tech. My background is teaching. I don't know if you were where I used to be a teacher. Got into doing this 10 years ago. People are like, how old is that young man up there? (laughs) One guy was introducing me and he goes, Scott left the teaching profession in 2014 where he had been teaching for 11 years, which means he must have started teaching when he was 16 years old. He was doing the math. How's that possible? But my wife tells me, no, it's catching up with you now. It's catching up with you. I'm, I'm seeing people I haven't seen in years, and they're like, wow, you look older. <laughs> so I take that as a compliment because then you got some credibility, right? A little bit. And so it was a kid. It was a kid up there. But anyway, I always liked that as a teacher because when I started teaching, I was 22, and I was teaching seniors in high school, economics. I was teaching seniors in high school, U.S. government. I was teaching juniors in high school, U.S. history. And these, these some, you know, some of them are like full-on beards, and I'm this 22-year-old kid up there. They look older than me. <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting scenario. But nonetheless, with, the, with speaking of the children and development, there's, there are the laws of natural development, right? Jesus w- uh, grew up according to the laws of childhood. And so that's, that's a good thing for all of us, uh, for our children, to grow up according to natural laws and the divine pattern instead of inserting so much of the artificial and that's not to say there's never going to be a place for a screen ever for any purpose. You know, we use it in certain ways in our house with our 10 and 8-year-old particularly. You know, they sometimes live stream that if it's a big event on Amazing Facts or whatever. We watch the Doug Batchelor series that he did, the Panorama of Prophecy. Uh, but the, the, big curve, the bigger concern with the, child, with the little children is the um, interactive screen time. 
Uh, Victoria Dunkley in her book, Reset Your Child's Brain, great book, by the way, Reset Your Child's Brain. I'll tell you more about that one in a minute. But what she cites, she cites the research. It's just the book that I point people to. But there's research studies that have been showing for, for years since the video games came in that these video games are so hyper-stimulating that they cause a, a disruption in sleep uh, of the children when done in the evening at four times the potency of high-paced, exciting entertainment television that children watch. So um, the passive viewing... Well, this afternoon we're gonna we're gonna see how hypnotic that is and how that's harmful too and how if it's worldly media it's hugely problematic and demonic. So yeah, I'll leave I'll leave it for the afternoon. But the interactive screen time is even more um, hampering to the development of a, the executive function of their brain. We'll talk more about the frontal lobe in just a minute, but we got to get the solution to that because we got the family really really struggling here, right? We've seen some of the child development things, the family going in opposite directions. It says in Deuteronomy six that we should talk about the word of God. With our children. As we rise up and lie down, that's morning and evening worship, right? As we walk, by the way, as we sit in our house, yeah, so we can sit more than just that morning and evening worship. Maybe you do it three times a day or, or you're on the two a day plan. Uh, what am I referring to? Mealtime, right? Mealtime together, that's another good time to sit. In fact, that's when Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, whose picture I don't have on the screen on this particular PowerPoint, but, um, these two guys were interviewed, like the two biggest names in the history of tech, right? They were both interviewed and had super strict limits on their children's media use. Um, Steve Jobs said, my kids have never used an iPad before. And Bill Gates said, we limited it to 45 minutes of internet use per day when his kids were in the house. And that's for productive purposes, edifying purposes, not for entertainment purposes. Uh, and, and Steve Jobs, specifically, both of them actually, specifically pointed out mealtime. And they said mealtime is very important in our homes. These are secular guys, by the way, right? In the Bible, it says in Psalm 128, verse 3, that the children will rise up like olive plants round about our tables. So what times of the day are we talking about the Word of God and just connecting and bonding as a family? If you don't have children in the home, you don't have anybody, maybe you live alone. This is the family of God, right? This is, this is social media right here. The medium of the body of Christ. And it's truly social, because uh, so- social media is, is, is more antisocial, really, when you dig into the research on the loneliness epidemic and the teen suicide increases and the issue of when you reduce um, social media to 30 minutes a day or zero minutes a day, loneliness scores drop dramatically. So uh, I think I've got something on loneliness coming up. But three-quarters of UK children spend less time outdoors than prison inmates spend outdoors. So we built for our families, our children, ourselves, really, a virtual prison. We think this thing is like the information superhighway, like so many things can happen through this portal, as if this is reality. Again, it's a tool. I've got one. So, But, um, sorry, I was just thinking of something else. The average person touches, taps, and swipes their device 2,316 times per day. And that's like almost a million times a year. And I wonder if we touch real things that much. You know, our, our children, our pets, our, our soil and plants, our you know, food preparation, wood and nails, you know, anything real, anything non-virtual, a million times a year. It's competing to be the new reality. Oh, and they got bigger things coming, right? I mean, we're going transhuman eventually. They've got the metaverse prepared for us. And then we can have all of our, all, all of our inputs into these systems that track every click, every how long we stay on that image to look at that 
Every search, every purchase, every post is collected. And they don't even necessarily, at this point, have the technological capacity to do anything with it, but it's all there, housed for in the near future, which I think they do have the capacity to do a whole lot more with it than they're telling us, but what they're saying is in the future, they can create a whole persona of you that can mimic you and is more like you than you even know you are. And then, so your consciousness, they call it, it's a counterfeit spirituality, can then just be uploaded in the form of this avatar of you, and then you live immortally. Oh, you will surely not die. Will you surely die? You see what the devil's up to here? He creates a counterfeit reality. He never could create, could he? Did you ever think about that? He wanted to be in the position of God, but he could not be a creator. God creates... Like, case closed. Great controversy should be done at that point, right? But his accusations were not about God's power. They were about God's character. So God had to prove his love. So he creates Adam and Eve. He creates relational... See how the devil wants to automatize human relationships and break human relationships? Because it doesn't allow us to reflect that image of God in our friendships, in our families. But he he creates that relationship. That all breaks down with the fall. And now he has the opportunity to truly reveal the full extent of his love. As it says in the book of John, loved him to the end in the King James. That's when he knelt and he washed the feet of his disciples, including his betrayer. And then he walked off to go to Gethsemane, to go to the cross in our behalf. And that proved beyond all shadow of a doubt. And so all the angels at that point, they are settled And it's just a matter of wrapping things up for a couple thousand years in Earth's history to finish and show the mystery of iniquity at full scope with its weeds and the wheat growing together unto the harvest and then singing the song of the redeemed for eternity and witnessing. You know we're going to witness for eternity? You ever think about that? Oh, I don't know if I'm up for witnessing. You know, I'm shy. (laughs) That's going to be what you get to do forever. The 144,000 with the seal of God have gone through an experience. And they'll be able to witness to all unfallen beings and those who went before us on this earth of what it was like to go through the final atonement. Oh, that's powerful. Um, and we don't need to fear that, by, by the way. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear because some people go, oh no, the close of probation. Oh no, I'm not going to be ready. Or oh no, I'm living in the sight without a mediator. Listen, if Jesus accomplished the work for us at the cross and he's accomplishing the work for us in the heavenly sanctuary, what do we have to fear? There's nothing to fear. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. If it's me, the hope of glory, then I got something to fear. Because that's no hope. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. How did I get on that? The Lord leads, that's how. Three quarters. Okay. Oh yeah, it was like this other place. And the devil creates this counterfeit reality. Because he couldn't be the creator. So he tried to just mar the creation of God. He tried to damage us, harm us. And then you know what redemption is? Look it up in Spirit of Prophecy. The definition of redemption is the image of God restored in man. That's the transforming and renewing of our minds. That was a scripture reading from this morning. Romans 12, verse 2. And this afternoon, we're going to see how the devil is seeking to conform, how the media agenda manipulates the minds of the masses. You will hear quotes from advertising executives, the founder of modern public relations, uh, entertainers, musicians, actors, all of them admitting what they are doing involves with shaping the group mind, as they call it, and infusing spiritualism into it. But we'll leave the conformed. This sermon's called Transformed by the Renewing of Your Minds because that's the very issue with redemption. It's like how to be human again, where I've lost it here, Because I'm subsumed into the virtual place, the counterfeit reality where the devil creates the video game interface. And it's a place you go. Mentally, you immerse yourself in that. You're subsumed into that. 
three-dimensional, people, spirit of God, realness is, is, is totally out of the mind, out of sight, out of mind. And you're just in this place. And that's the devil's trick to get you AWOL from your post of duty living in this amazing world at this amazing time, doing amazing work for an amazing God. He's got you, oh, I'm in this, this, this quest and we've got this amazing, you know, guild and we've got all these incredible things. It's all fake, right? It's a counterfeit. It's like fantasy. It's like reading, like, you know what? I used to kind of laugh at my sister because she'd watch these soap operas all summer long for hours a day. And I'd be like, that's, what do you, this, you just sit there watching, these things are so boring. We don't use that word in my house, but they are. <laughs> um, but then, you get, a, you get involved in the video game world, that's just as fake, just this, just this, and I'll, I'll say, I was obsessed with spectator sports, that was, that was like, that's like the male soap opera, right? So am I preaching now? Um, the devil creates many counterfeits to, to divert us from our purpose and our calling in God to do his work and to live life to the fullest. You know, he, he created us to be happy, right, with him, to enjoy him, to live in a love relationship with him. Like, this is eternal life, to know God. That sums it up, right? To know means to have an intimate acquaintance with and to serve and to worship and glorify. And so anything that can divert us from that joy, the devil delights in. And are we even happier? Is your media addict happier than your person who has a more balanced use of media. No. The more media you consume, the more depressed you are. The more, the less media you consume, the more happy you are. Isn't that beautiful? Especially if you're replacing it with things like nature, relationships, service of others, uh, hobbies that you find, uh, you know, you pour yourself into and you find fulfillment with. Um, reading books, like physical books. I've got a session in the Media Mind called People of the Book in the Age of the App. And that talks about the benefits of book reading. It enhances frontal lobe. It reduces stress. I gotta get to frontal lobe. We gotta keep moving along here. 94 children aren't playing as much. Everything's online. Oh, by the way, kids are getting injured on playgrounds more today than they were 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Has anybody noticed a change in the playgrounds in the last 20 years or so? Or, yeah, about 20? Like they became super safe. Did you notice that? Super safe. Yeah, the, the, the slide is like this high. <laughs> Instead of in the old days, you know, you'd be climbing this ladder like up to that, and you go down this big old slide. Slight exaggeration, not much, but we'd go down on our feet in Michigan in October when the frost would start coming out in the morning, and uh, kids didn't get injured as much back then. Why? Well, did you know the majority of children today of age 11 have never climbed a tree before? I couldn't believe that. When I'm like, no way. If, if I heard a guy say that from the front, I'd be like, that couldn't be. It's from the book, The Last Child in the Woods. Excellent book. Um, there was a survey done, and they found the majority of 11-year-olds have never climbed a tree before. How sad is that, right? I mean, this is a virtual prison. So um, we, got, we got some issues, because it says in the book, Child Guidance, children find diversion and development in play. And play is important for childhood development. Fed spent, oh yeah, so we got social robots coming now. Because the children are being neglected by the parents. They're induced in, 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 engrossed in their media. Parents are in theirs. And daycare providers are in theirs. And the preschool teacher's just got her hands full with 25 kids. So she can't possibly really be one-on-one -on -one connecting in a meaningful, substantial way for long periods of time that the children need. So they notice, oh boy, um, social and emotional intelligence is dropping through the floor. I had a, an audience. I spoke at the NAD Teachers Convention a couple years ago. Had an audience of teachers. 
and I asked them a survey. How many of you have seen young people in the last five to ten years since the ubiquitous use of smartphones, social media, online multiplayer video games, etc.? How many of you have seen academic performance drop? How many of you have seen motivation drop? How many of you have seen um, character and integrity drop? How many of you have seen, you know, I just went through all the things we're looking for in our kids, and the one that they were the most emphatic of all was sociability, emotional intelligence, empathy, conversation skills, these kinds of things. And that's across the research. I know this is kind of a small sample of these, you know, 100 teachers that were in my little breakout session, but it's, it's across the board. And so with the kids struggling, and young people too, young adults, are we going to replace that with social robots? Now, do you know what an oxymoron is? You know, it's two words that contradict. I don't think a robot can truly teach you to love, can it? Can, can, can a robot that's, oh, it's so fun and cute, ha, ha, ha. But wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this teaching kids? If that's the future, and that's going to replace the mother, because from, from infanthood, if there is nursing happening at all, mother is nursing the baby, and her eyes are not on the baby's eyes, are they, anymore? And so from square one, and electromagnetic radiation, that's a real thing. You look at World Health Organization, calling that a class 2A carcinogen. So I carry this thing, keep it off my person. I don't talk like that. People are, oh, it's fanatical. It's in the research, but anyway. Um, mothers, yeah, mothers and babies. Oh, here's a fun fact about mothers and fathers. When we are using media in the presence of our children and our children are being uh, withheld, the media is withheld from them, so they've got their blocks, they've got their Legos, they've got their trains or whatever. They're in the sandbox, but I'm just over here, this is, hey, daddy, daddy. Like, oh, huh. I'm doing what's called continuous partial attention. And then four-year-old injuries, preschool uh, toddler injuries increased during this time when, when the smartphone came in because we're not watching our kids. But not just that. And by the way, I should, so you know I'm not preaching at you. I did this. My little baby girl, third of three kids, um, that's it. She's now four. But when she was uh, maybe 12 months old or something, I was up in the morning. She was up. Mom was catching up on sleep. And I'm like, oh, let me check the weather real quick. And I've got her. She's crawling around on the ground. And so I'm on my device. She's doing her baby thing, crawling around. Well, my wife had set mousetraps the night before. And um, she was crawling right toward the, don't worry, it doesn't end badly. She, she's crawling right toward the mousetraps. I'm going to bail you out before I even get to the end of the story. Um, and I, I noticed her as she was approaching it and ran over and scooped her up. And I told her, those are dangerous. That's always on your fingers. But shame on me, right? But the continuous partial attention is not just for physical injuries. Children who are not using devices but parents who are on their media, the children start to have some of the same mental health and child development problems as children who are using the devices and the video games and the media. And you're like, how is that possible? Well, they called it secondhand screen time, like secondhand smoke. I would never give my child a cigarette. Of course I would never give my child a video game. Um, Nicholas Cardaris said, he's the author of the book Glow Kids. He said, um, I've treated hundreds of heroin addicts. And what I can say is that it's easier to treat a heroin addict than a true screen addict. And, and the deepest addictions are your, are your video games, pornography, and in some cases social media. Um, so I would never give that stuff to my children, but then when we're doing so much of it in their presence, what are they not getting from us? The things that teach them empathy, confidence, security, Jesus Christ as their friend and savior that they see pictured in their present and available parent who would never leave them nor forsake them. So um, that was the social robots are going to have to take our place. I think not. That's another devil's counterfeit. Okay, I told you I'd talk about loneliness and social media. This is the most socially connected generation in history, as we've been called. 
one of these big tech tycoons said, we've connected the world, like that's our goal, like never before. And um, a lot of people question that. Like when you hear big CEOs just like proclaim something, I hope we're thinking, you know, we're not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. We go, well, is that the case? You know, is there research that is, that is showing that people are more socially fulfilled than they were a generation ago or a decade ago? And the opposite is the case. Because if we are the most socially connected generation in history, then why was there before COVID a cuddling with strangers craze? I'm not making this up. There were apps where you could find people in your area to hook up just for a simple cuddling session exclusively. Because people are lonely. They need hugs and love. Uh, they don't have the church. Here's why we are here, by the way, in the offering appeal. Would the community notice if your church disappeared? Good challenge, right? We're here to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to, to really embrace and I know we can't always physically embrace because of where everybody's at with their, their, uh, you know, their, their preferences on the, on the pandemic. But here you have professional cuddlers who were hiring out their services to cuddle with people, snuggle with people. And we kind of like crinkle our eyebrows and almost laugh at that. But what it is is a reflection of a culture that is struggling, right? And so it, it, it was real. It happened. And this actually happened too, the chair that will hug you back in case you're weirded out by cuddling with strangers, which I think most people are. Um, that was a small thing. Not very many people were cuddling with strangers and not very many people are getting a chair that will hug you back. But the mere existence of these things, that they were arising at the same time. Now we can go a little bit more academic on that and look at the actual data, research, and, and studies on loneliness. And you find um, what I mentioned earlier, University of Pennsylvania, Denmark study, two, two separate studies found that when you reduce social media down to 30 minutes a day or zero minutes a day, um, you actually get loneliness scores that drop 36% in one week. 36% in one week. That's, that's massive, right? And depression and all, all the mental health things. Did you know a quarter of college students are suffering from a mental health condition, diagnosed health condition? And the counseling offices just can't keep up. They, they, can't, they can't keep up with all the cases because that's the affliction of this generation. And you might say, I did that, by the way, if you're wondering why that went black, because I'm not talking about the chair anymore. Uh, some of the AV departments, sometimes when I do that, they panic. So I have to tell them the first time. If it happens again, that was me again. Um, it's not over diagnosis. Um, they, they did a, a survey using the diagnostic criteria of depression, where they just asked people across the board, and they've done this for years to compare year over year, how many people would qualify for these mental health conditions if they did seek uh, professional help. So there may be an increase in seeking a professional help, but that's not where we get our data. We get our data from the surveys, 60% rise in depression across the board among teens between 2010 and 2016. That doesn't just happen. You don't just happen to get a three-fold increase. That's a 200% increase in young teen girl, or preteen girl suicide, ages 12 to 14. 200% increase in like a seven-year time span. That is horrific. I mean, that should be like headline news. Congressional investigations. 60 minutes. I mean, where is the talk about this? Maybe there's some entrenched interests. I don't know what's going on. It's weird that that never got talked about. Well, 2020 happened. All we talked about was COVID naturally. But this was happening before that, right? This was all going on before that. Um, so I asked about, what about Christian youth? And um, this goes back to more media on the brain content. Most of what you've heard so far was borrowed from the media mind. But um, 
Our young people, I, I, I used to teach them. I taught them in an academy setting. And I was a brand new Adventist at that time. And I'm like, oh, present truth, the remnant church of Bible prophecy. I'm all fired up about the truth. And I'm teaching the truth, doing evangelistic seminar. And the local people are like, hey, would you like to teach the Bible class? So I'm like, yeah, I'd like to teach the Bible class at the local academy. And then I get in there. I start to get a glimpse into the families. Like, you know, we all look so, you know, Christian in church. And then, like, what are we watching when we go home? And I start to get a little bit more of a glimpse into this. Some of the teachers, too, by the way. Um, and I'm going, oh, wow. And not that it's like holier than now, like it's just what are our life commitments, right? What are our lifestyle standards? And that doesn't assess heart motive or character necessarily, but it's a, it's a glaring outward thing when you see the posts on social media. Oh, did you catch the new movie that came out? And so I, okay, I want to do a survey with my students and I ask them, um, anonymously, because this is not like a witch hunt. This is not a judgment session. It was a very, very open, open um, classroom environment. But I asked them, how much time are we spending on entertainment media that is like Hollywood movies and, and, and TV shows and violent video games? So I limited media exposure to a very narrow question that could easily and clearly be defined as worldly. Because what we've talked about so far is like excess social media and like, you know, where's the line and at what ages, what times of the day, how much media interactive screen time versus passive viewing of how fast paced of a TV, how much in harmony with nature. I mean, there's so many things to sort out and I'm not going to be able to do that, obviously. I don't even do that in six hours in the media mind. I just pose the questions and present the information. I think it draws some natural conclusions for us as we walk through it, but this was to just, we're going to go just looking at worldly media pretty much from here on out for the, for the seminar day. And how much time are you guys, I asked my students, spending on devotional exercises of any kind? And I broadened that way out. Like even music and going for a walk and, you know, in nature. Any devotional book. Anything devotional. Versus very narrow Hollywood movies and TV and violent video games. It was. The ratio was. Sorry, I have that on the screen, so I actually have a notebook, but let me come back to that. It was a 25 to 1 ratio of entertainment media versus spiritual food. And I use the word food there because that's the standard American diet when it comes to our physical food. But what is our mental and spiritual food? Is it... Is it the word? Is it the bread of life? The manna, Jesus who came down from heaven. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. What are we feeding into our mind, into our soul? And my young people at that time, it was 25 hours per, per week, per period of time. This is just a ratio. Um, it, it ended up as four hours per day versus 10 minutes per day. It's the exact, exact numbers. But um, that, that, that takes its toll on your physiology, as we know. I mean, that's killing us. And, and I've, I've been saying that since 2012. How much more, tragically, did that prove to be true during COVID? Do you know that 80% of the severe cases of COVID and the deaths were overweight and obese? 80%. And why, why we aren't having that conversation? You know, especially among those who know the health message and know how to present things with grace and truth so it's not offensive and condemning and stuff. We don't budge on truth, do we? Now, sometimes the world budges on truth, actually, because they want to be so grace-filled and so tolerant and so nice and not offend anybody. Um, there's a super worldly guy on uh, a talk show, and he's on HBO. And he said, we would, he pointed out that 80% of the deaths are, are overweight and obese. 
He said, we would literally rather see people die than offend them. And he was questioning that. Politically incorrect was his name of his show. So he used to always kind of try to be a little on the edge of things and is very crass and hates Christians and Christianity. So I don't mean to endorse him. I don't want to name him. But in our case, you know, we have the example of Jesus Christ who came filled with grace and truth in John chapter 1. And so those are important themes. Like for, for me to put that on there and be like, this is an addiction. This is, this is harmful to our health. We were already having a COVID size, actually double the size of COVID, pandemic, if you will, just death numbers of heart, just heart disease, which we could, we can reverse. We can reverse heart disease. We can, we can prevent heart disease and reverse heart disease with a whole food plant based diet, like almost 100%. It's just open and shut, simple. It's a paper tiger. It's a nothing, um, disease. And, um, Whole food plant, and particularly if we work on fat intake, work on some of those oils. Because you can go, you can go plant-based diet, and you're like drinking pop and eating, you know, uh, eating uh, fries and chips. Like I can eat Doritos, chips, and pop. Do we call it pop in Ohio? I like you guys, your neighbors. If I get too far south, they'll be like, "What? You mean a Coke?" Well, not necessarily Coke. Maybe Pepsi. Maybe Mountain Dew. That, well, no, the Mountain Dew is a Coke. And I'm like, no, it's not. Coke is Coke. So down south, they're all confused. And then I go out west, and they laugh at me for two reasons. Because I taught in California for five years, and the students are like, listen to Mr. Ritzema. He says pop. I said, no, I say pop. Why do you guys talk? He says pop, pop, ha, 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 ha. Anyway, different, different uh, inflections of the, of the, uh, of the, of the vowels. But... Um, Whole food. That, and you didn't think you were going to get the health message this morning, did you? I hope this isn't a bait and switch. Like, please come to, talk to us about media. <laughs> now, now that I've got the podium, we're going to have a talk about the diet. No, because as soon as we start talking about the plate, what goes on my plate is like, no, no, that's none of your business. Like, don't even go there, brother. But, you know, it's God's business. He, he wants us to be in good health. And he does not want us to be committing slow motion suicide. Now, now that's the, that's the hard, you know, uh, pound the podium uh, angle on it. You ready for the easy listening? And what I believe is the most effective way to present the health message. So if I was a little hard on you, all in good fun. But, you know, God gave us a diet. He appointed a diet to Adam and Eve in Eden that would not only maximize our health and lifespan, but our happiness. They have found that when you start removing these one by one, when you add, actually you just add the study didn't even ask you to remove. It just said, add a serving of fruit and vegetable to your daily diet. Okay, done. And they found one additional serving of fruits and vegetables to your diet it boosts your happiness levels. And then they said, let's add a second. It boosts it more. Let's add a third. It boosts it more. Let's add a fourth. It boosts it more. Let's add a fifth. It boosts it more. You start getting better cardiovascular health which is going to cause better brain health. You start getting better gut microbiome, which is going to cause better you know, emotional regulation with a, with a gut-brain connection. And just you start feeling like a different person when you get to those eight. And you can go beyond eight. You ever tried to do eight servings? Eight servings of something is like half of a meal for me sometimes, especially if you're eating two times a day and it's high-fiber, whole-food, plant-based stuff. But anyway, I just wanted you to be encouraged because I would do that with my students. Like, look, guys, the more media you consume, the less happy you are. Addictions always increase depression. That's like a one-to-one thing. And including that food. 
Uh, it, it, it lowers the way we feel and makes us less happy. And God wants us to be happy. He says, I withhold from you no good thing. Isn't that beautiful? That's in the Psalms. He says, I open my right hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. God wants to satisfy our desires. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, you'll taste it. You'll, you'll savor it. I mean, the word of God needs to be as sweet as honey, right, to our taste. Sweeter than honey to our mouths. But for many of us, it's kind of like, eh, you know, spiritual things are, I won't say the word, right? Um, and that's a struggle many of my students have, many of us have. But God has the answer to it. And it's as simple as this. Actually, you know what? I'm going to save it for the very end because I'm going to give you like a super intense download of information this afternoon on conform to this world. But I have to end that one on a positive note. So remind me to talk about um, the, the, the study of the mice with the wires in their brain, okay? And then they tap a lever and they get addicted to a pleasure stimulus and then what happens to them, Okay. So I got to come back to the thing about the sweet sweetness because really this whole day is not about media. I mean, like let's have a seminar on media, but isn't everything about the one in whom we live and move and have our being? I mean, that's everything. So if this doesn't help us in our relationship with Jesus Christ, then it would be a, a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. But here we have the opportunity to ask the Lord, how is my media impacting? When we say mental health, really, that's going to impact our spiritual connection with Jesus, right? And when we talk about happiness levels, that's going to impact, that's going to have a bearing on our motivation to read God's Word. Are we overstimulated and then therefore bored by spiritual things? You know, all of these things intersect and intermingle. So when you hear me talking about secular science and research and the brain and stuff, that all has a spiritual connection to it. Now, I wanted to, that's the, that's the opening scripture that we hit earlier, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want to put that up again because it's the mind. Because I told you a few times, we're going to look at the frontal lobe of the brain. I'm sure you've heard of that one by this point, but it's the spirituality, the morality, and the will. So this is hugely important for the Christian. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Our conscience is in the frontal lobe. Judgment and decision-making, prayer and worship, discerning spiritual truth, empathy, altruism, like everything about the Christian life seems to be happening right up there where the seal of God is placed, interestingly. I find that to be kind of a cool, a cool connection. Uh, it's symbolic, of course, but quite literal in the sense of the rewiring, the transforming and renewing of our thoughts, our habits. Because you know that thoughts work out actions, Actions work out habits, and habits form character. And so it all begins in the thoughts here, and what truths we accept, what deceptions we decline, what temptations we say no to, what things we embrace and do and think and feel and say and, uh, and, and act out in our lives. So there were some more scriptures on the frontal lobe. I mentioned this one already, but the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That would be self-control. Um, you've got decision-making and what they call self-regulation. They, they kind of change the language over time. And I noticed they stopped saying self-control a few years ago. Say self-regulation, uh, meaning regulating your choices and your thoughts, uh, your emotions a lot of the time. Because when I get to this other area of the brain, the limbic system, this is where our, our, our fleshly lusts and our emotional outburst impulses demanding what we're going to think and feel uh, dominate in our lives. It's aggression, it's fear. So you got fight and flight there with aggression 
and fear. The scientists call it the lizard brain because they've got this false notion of us evolving from lower, uh, you know, not just mammals, but down to the reptiles. And they say it's, it's the reptilian brain, you know, it's the, the animalistic tendencies, which we would, we would call that carnal, right? The carnal mind, it says here, is enmity against God. The carnal mind is not something that evolved from millions of years ago, but it's circuitry and genetic inheritance that we have received from Adam and Eve when they made the choices they made, and we epigenetically receive that to the third and fourth generation, interestingly. Did you know that? As a little girl is born with all the eggs she'll ever have that are already programmed with those genes from her mother, so you got granddaughter inheritance inheritance already affected, and the epigenetic changes that grandma lived in her life are passed on one, two, three, right there, third generation. Um, usually goes on after that just through not just nature but but nurture. But um, here you go with uh, fear, stress, lust, impulses, worry, anxiety, anger, irritability, negativity, and aggression. That's That describes 21st century America, doesn't it? <laughs> and maybe it describes our lives a little too much. Like, yeah, I struggle. We all do, right? And, and to what extent? And are we going in the right direction? That's the key. Which direction are we going? Are we moving more toward enhancing limbic system circuits or more toward enhancing frontal lobe circuits? And we are to have a limbic system. God gave us a limbic system, so we should have healthy emotions, proper emotions. These things can be appropriate in their proper context and the appetites kept in check in a godly way. But the, the Bible says it's not always a godly way. It's this kind of God, meaning a false God. Their God is their stomach. Um, the appetites and the lusts of the flesh rule, it becomes an idol, right? And then, so that's the limbic system, the desires of the flesh and the carnal mind, which we mentioned a second ago. Now, what does this have to do with, let's take television, okay? What does that have to do with media? We've known for decades now that when you watch entertainment television and it's, it's driven to the limbic system, it turns off the frontal lobe. Like, frontal lobe function is inert at that moment when you are just engaged in the sheer amusement. Now, I, I said that word so slowly because I wanted to break it down etymologically. Do you know what the, the word amusement means? To muse means to, to think, to ponder. Think on these things, Philippians 4, 8. Sorry, I have it as a scripture song. We do a lot of scripture songs in our house. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. Think on these things, ponder these things, muse, to muse. Um, so what does it mean when you put ah in front of a word? It negates it. It's to not. So amusement means to not think. So when we read in the book Education that there's two different ways that you know, we spend our time with our youth, hopefully with, um, there's, there's, there's two different categories. Amusement and do you know what the alternative is, the good one? Recreation. Recreation is good and healthy and healthy. It upbuilds. It's, it's nature, it's exercise, it's, it's fun. Like, fun is not bad, right? I don't know, some people got that idea. That's not, that's not God's way. You know, he made us with our faces able to do that, right? And Jesus did a lot of that. Um, he also felt the sorrows of humanity, and he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he was despised and rejected by men. So the totality of the human experience, just to go back to our emotions, it is, it is part of what it means to be human. And part of that is empathy. Love your neighbor as yourself includes stepping into their shoes. 
how must they be feeling when this happens? And when you feel that feeling, you are engaged in frontal lobe empathetic love. Altruistic love is where you take it to the next step and you do something for somebody that's a sacrificial thing where you gain nothing but you benefit them. And did you know that empathy dropped 40% in college students in just 10 years? How is that possible? And what are the future ramifications of that? With a society where the love of many will wax cold? That was prophesied, wasn't it? So who knew that Matthew 24's prophecy about people's love growing cold was going to be fulfilled by immersion in social media and not seeing people's faces and everything is a text message and an emoji, right? I mean, when you talk to people, isn't it different than when you text? Again, not against it complete. I texted my wife this morning. Also FaceTimed her, which is nice. Got to see the kids for a little bit. So I like the technology. But it's like one-tenth as good as being there. When I get home, it's the best moment of the week for me. It's the, the, the 40 best moments of the year for me. When I'm coming back from a weekend speaking appointment, I'm not doing 40 anymore with COVID. I used to do 50. But anyway, just averaging it out over the years. done 400 of these. This has been awesome. I'm almost ready to just like, we got to hang up the media on the brain and move on to other things. But God is good. It's still important. And we could still find freedom in Christ because when we make choices according to his will, you find joy with, with like people, like my example, my children. They come running, daddy's home. Ah! And I'm like lifting up three kids. Like, man, I got to hit the gym to be able to lift up this 10-year-old and this 8-year-old and this 4-year-old. And they, all want, they all want to be picked up at the same time. That's a, that's a big moment, right? And um, I don't remember how I got on that. As soon as I start talking about my kids, I lose my train of thought. It's so crazy every time it happens. Oh, yeah, 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 the emoji. Yeah, I, I'm not, I like an emoji. You know, I, I often do little smiley faces like the old-fashioned style with the equal sign in the parentheses. I still do it that way. Um, but a text message, like somebody says, hey, pray for me. I'm going through such and such. Or my, my sister's in the hospital, can you pray? I'll hear back from them in an hour or something, right? Um, when you're with somebody and they tell you that, you're merging emotionally in the moment, spiritually. Your face communicates with them even while they're still in the middle of their sentence that you care. Your, your, your face communicates so much. There's so many muscles in there because there's so many different levels of emotion and, 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 and different, different angles and hues of it. And, and there's more than just face, too. There's proximity. You move closer to somebody. Or they're telling you something exciting, and you just like you start to get excited, right? You're you, you're moving up, you're like you're bouncing, or oh, like you know you're feeling their feelings of sorrow. So there's that merging. There's also the immediacy of it, and in the sense of um, your it demands a hello, an acknowledgement, handshake, in some cultures a bow or a holy kiss. You know, it's like hello, I'm validating you. My time is all yours right now. Where it's here, it's like, yeah, not right now. Which kind of is freeing in a way. Like, too many people, too many times. So, you know, introverted personalities kind of like, you know, having a little bit of space. But when you are with somebody, you invest in them, right? So, um, how did I get on that when I was talking about the brain? The frontal lobe of the brain. Oh, yeah, empathy. Empathy, altruism, self-control. Frontal lobe, frontal lobe, frontal lobe. But when you're engaged in entertainment media, it is reducing frontal lobe function. And guess what circuits you're exercising? Theatrical-style television is designed to produce a limbic system impulse of some kind. So you're exercising limbic system circuits, fear, lust, aggression, anger, irritability, anxiety, etc., because of the different 
drama of the scene, the different category of the of the show, the type of movie, the type of music that's playing, the type of acting that gets you into the feeling of it, and they get your limbic system going frontal lobe off, which is going to have hypnotic effects. We'll talk about that this afternoon, but the long-term effects show um, that very thing, uh, lower frontal lobe, higher limbic system, because when we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap from the flesh, and it might not even be anything immoral that we're watching, right? It might just be theatrical style entertainment television that has a high flash rate and all of that limbic system enhancing stuff going on, it's going to alter our brain function even without inserting false worldviews and immoral things that are conforming our minds. So that was a big wake-up call for me where it's like, you know what? I'm just going to break free from that because I want to reap to the spirit, the spiritual man, the frontal lobe, enhance that and have the happiest and most uh, spiritually uh, inclined life that we can. So it's like exercise, the one you use, you'll get more of, right? I got tendonitis a while back in my right arm, and I found my left arm was stronger than my right. It was that bad, like, for that long. Uh, and it was atrophying. And over time, if you, like, just put it in a sling all the time and never used it, it would, it would waste away. But you pump iron every day with, with one, and it becomes stronger. You know the idea. It's the same thing with our brain circuits. Video games, too. Frontal lobe is reduced in just one week of playing violent video games. Just one week. Um, morality. Okay, so I said, it may not even be an immoral movie. It may even be you're playing a violent video game and you're the good guys in a, in a just war or something like that, right? Where you're a non-combatant, maybe even. Oh, I don't know if that exists, but 200,000 acts of violence by the age of 18 are watched on TV by the average kid. 6,588 beer commercials. I'll tell you more about the advertising industry and their subliminal ways of advertising hundreds of thousands of times, but that's just the straight commercials. 79,500 scenes of a sexual nature by the age of 18. And then people, when I was a youth, you know, I played in a rock band. You'll see imagery of that. I won't play the music, but you'll see imagery. For, it's just a t- part of a testimony this afternoon, like two minutes. But um, when I was a teen, I'd watch what I want to watch, play what I want to play. You know, it's like, pff, I don't know, chapel speakers would come in. They'd be like, you know, worldly media. I, it's not affecting me. I'm not going out and killing anybody. Ha, I'm smarter than you. <laughs> like, you young fool. I want to go grab myself by the shoulders. Like, did you not know in Matthew 5, Jesus said it's not about whether you just kill somebody. He said, you know, if you hate somebody in your heart, you violated the command against murder. If you lust after somebody in your heart, you violated the command against adultery. Um, so, you know, he was way ahead of his time with the science, obviously, because he created science and the mind. He made it so that when we see something, we identify with it and experience that with somebody, so it binds us. It's empathy, right? We were talking about that earlier. Well, they looked at mirror neurons. When a monkey even sees something, it's as if he's doing it himself. It was it, He was eating peanuts, and then they took a break. They put the peanuts on the shelf, and the monkey was still being monitored with his brain activity. And then what, the scientist is now over here eating peanuts, and they accidentally discovered, like, wow, this brain scan looks fascinating. It looks just like the one when he was eating the peanuts. Wait a minute. Yeah, let's let's compare the two. Monkey's brain while eating peanuts. Monkey's brain while watching peanuts being eaten. Ah, wow. The same brain scan. So what they discovered is whatever we see with our eyes is interpreted by the brain as if we are doing it ourselves, not merely seeing it. So um, I can't say, well, I'm just watching. I'm just listening. I'm just playing. I'm just engaged in those things in the media portal, and it has no implications for my spiritual portal. That's why we're called, told Guard well the avenues to the soul. Avoid seeing, hearing, reading that which will suggest impure thoughts. That's important counsel because by beholding, we become 
How many of you have known that phrase for like 40 years or more? All right. I didn't, because I didn't grow up hearing that phrase. I grew up in a different faith. But that's a beautiful Seventh-day Adventist phrase. By beholding, we become traitors. That obviously comes from the Apostle Paul, who said that when we behold Christ as in a mirror, we become transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And isn't that the goal? We want to grow up to the very measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's his promise and his work to accomplish in us before he comes to claim us as his own. But here you have the Amish kid. Quick story. He left the Amish community. He had never watched movies before. And he watched an old Hollywood film called, or a genre called the Western films. Anybody maybe remember the Westerns? I didn't watch many. Watched a little bit of Hi Ho Silver Away when I was a kid. I forgot what that was called. But um, yeah, Lone Ranger. Watched that like once. But I showed some old movies to my students in school. I used to teach history, right? And I would sometimes show them old movies as part of the history curriculum. And they were always so bored by the old movies. Because it's like, oh, man, they just held that image on the screen for like seven seconds. You know, today it's every two seconds there's a new image on the screen or less than two seconds. And there would be a shocking scene like somebody gets shot or whatever. And my students would laugh at it if they weren't asleep already. Uh, They would laugh that off and it didn't affect them. The Amish kid, the first time he watched a movie. He saw somebody shot in an old Western film. Not that violent, not that shocking, not that gory. It's very, very tame by today's standards, right? He turned white pale. True story. He turned white pale, ran out of the house, and threw up. So that kind of is is a... It's a little laboratory, if you will, on how we ought to or how the natural brain would respond when confronted with things that are so contrary to nature, to how God created for us to see and think and feel. It horrified him, right? And it's the frog in the pot concept, right? He was thrown into the pot of already boiling water. He noticed it, and he's like, this is not good, get me out of here. Where we, maybe from childhood, you know, with cartoons, and then on and up and up, PG, G, and then PG, and then, it's, oh, I get to watch this now. That was like, that was my childhood story. It was like super exciting when I got to watch the bad stuff. Like, why is that exciting? That's all of the devil to think that's a thing to be uh, sought after and achieved. Silly nonsense, but it's slow. You don't notice it. I and mean, this happens with Christians. We acclimate ourselves culturally with that which is transpiring around us. We watch it. We take it in. We lower our standard because we're becoming more and more peculiar and that makes us uncomfortable. So we start censoring the way we think and speak about truth and we just start to meld right into this like, what? Or we don't even notice it. We don't even notice that, right? That's the key. It's incremental. It's so slow that we imperceptibly become immersed in an environment that we think is fine until that frog finally boils alive in there, which you might say, well, does this have salvation implications? Are are people going to perish for this this issue? And and I would say, depends what you mean by that. If you're saying your media choices are your path to salvation, then you don't understand the gospel. So, no. But is it... Are there some who are cutting themselves off from the channel of grace and not beholding Christ in faith because there's something else that has our attention? And then it becomes a salvation issue. You can't be saved by your media choices, but you can be lost by beholding something other than Christ, right? And that's where Isaiah takes us as we wrap up this morning. 
The issue is, <laughs> have you ever read this text? This is the one we sometimes use in our prophecy meetings when we're talking about the lake of fire. I love using this one. This just like, whoa, makes people's brains explode. Because it's the one, well, I can't tell you what it is, because we're going to look at it from a different angle right now. Isaiah first asks the question, who among us can dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us can dwell with the everlasting burnings? Okay, that's a serious tone, isn't it? That gets us all to sit up and take notice. Okay, what's being asked here? He just asked, who's going to survive in the presence of, you know who the fire is, our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. Who among us will dwell with the devouring fire, the everlasting burnings? So, in other words, who's gonna, who can survive? Can't anybody survive in the presence of God who is a consuming fire? I mean, he, he loves everybody. Can't everybody just walk into his presence and be cool, right? It's, it's going to be okay? You know, the, one of the most awesome guys in the whole Bible was Moses. He was super holy and righteous like 99% of the time, right? And uh, he, he said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, you cannot see my face and live. Um, now, it doesn't end there. The good news is Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See. No one shall see my face and live to Moses. But you shall see God when you've been purified in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So that's kind of the rest of the sentence from the conversation with Moses. So, being the pure in heart is our first answer to Isaiah's question. That's in verse 14, actually. I'm going to show you verse 15 in a second, but it's verse 14 if you were looking that up. Um, Who among us is going to dwell with a consuming fire? He who has a pure heart. Um, You know what another answer to that is? Is in Revelation. And a lot of people don't notice this because there's a chapter break, and sometimes we stop at the chapter break, and we think that it's not a contiguous line of teaching. But the chapter breaks were added by man later. You know, they're not bad, they help us. But at the end of chapter 6, it pictures the coming of Christ. The sky recedes as a scroll, and every mountain flees from its place, and people are running into the hills and crawling on the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of the Lamb. You remember that whole scene? And they're going, the great day of his, his wrath has come. And... You remembered it. That's the exact same question Isaiah is asking. They go, who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand with the devouring fire? Who shall be able to dwell with the everlasting burning? Who shall be able to stand? That's a big question we human beings ask, isn't it? Because when we realize we're a sinner, we feel like none of us is worthy of God. And isn't that true? (laughs) Praise God for Jesus Christ and the cross, because he makes us worthy by his merits. So, that's going to be the answer. How do we get that pure heart, by the way? It's only by the grace of Jesus. But the second one is where you transition into chapter 7 of Revelation. Chapter 7 of Revelation answers the question. Because chapter 6 ends with the question. It goes, who shall be able to stand? End of chapter. Oh, that was a nice reading today. I guess that was a hypothetical question that will be the mystery of ages and... Maybe the mystery will be complete in the future and the little book will be eaten. But for now, I just don't know who's going to be able to stand. (laughs) Read on. Read into chapter 7. Keep going, keep going, keep going. When you read on into chapter 7, you see the angel ascending from the east with the seal of God. 
placing it on the foreheads of the believers. That's the answer to the question. So who's going to be able to stand in the last days? The pure in heart and those with the seal of God? Same people. It's just two different ways of describing our salvation. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are given a new heart and a right spirit. We are given a pure heart. We are given the seal of God. So settled into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, that we cannot be moved in the last days. Then, a third way, finally, kept you in suspense long enough. Third way to describe this. Isaiah 33 describes those who have, may I just call this whole thing, the righteousness of Christ. That's how we get a pure heart. That's how we receive the seal. It's only by the merits and grace in Jesus Christ and our faith and trust in Him. Um, so the third way to describe this group, and this kind of gets into like how, uh, how this group lives. Who's going to dwell? Who's going to survive? He who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. Remember I brought this up when I was saying we could be lost by our media choices because... We're beholding something other than the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world who taketh away the sin of the world. And it, he's the only way to be saved. It's not our merits. It's not, we don't impress God when we make reforms in our lives with media or diet or anything. Like, we only do that because he's asked us to and we, and we love him and we trust him. We do that and we see the fruits and it improves our, our walk with him. It clears our minds. It gives us greater strength and more faith. Um, but it's really only that faith that counts at the end of the day. And... He's telling us, look, there's going to be a group who don't shut their, or who do stop their ears from hearing about bloodshed, and who do shut their eyes from looking upon evil. And we say, the things of this world, I want nothing to do with that. Like, turn my eyes from a vain thing, and come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, I want to end with a story. Oh, there's a quote, by the way. This is a, this is a good quote, and then I'll end with a story. Satan's work is to lead men to ignore God, to so engross and absorb the mind that God will, not, God will not be in their thoughts. The education they have received has been of a character to confuse the mind and eclipse the true light. Satan does not wish the people to have a knowledge of God. And if he can set in operation, huh, games and theatrical performances... Okay, so like video games in Hollywood? That didn't exist 100 years ago. Maybe this was prophetic, right? I mean, the historian in me wants to go into the context and figure out what the particular precept is referencing there, but the principle is anything that will confuse the senses, confuse the mind, alter our brain function in a way that is harmful and engross our minds so God is not in our thoughts, well, that's going to be the kind of thing that pleases Satan who human beings will be perishing in darkness while light shines all around them. That's an interesting quote that it mentions games and theatrical performances by name. These are given for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And there is nothing more calculated to energize the mind and strengthen the intellect than the study of the word of God. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the faculties as the broad ennobling truths of the Bible. If God's word were studied as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind, a nobility of character, and stability of purpose that is rarely seen in these times. Now, this closing analogy, story, where we say, yeah, I'm going to make a decision today. And I don't know what yours is. I know what God's leading me on lately. But my wife and I moved out to California, and we lived in Michigan, so we didn't have mountains at all. 
Like by the time you get about here in Ohio, a little south, obviously you start seeing, you know, I was so enthralled by that when I was a kid driving to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for spring break. Wow, look at these, you know, cliffs. <laughs> and uh, so we drove through Ohio, you know, where they'd, uh, bo- they'd dynamite for the, for the highways. But anyway, we moved out to California. We were excited to see mountains. Because they've got these beautiful, amazing mountains. All oh, you guys are going to love it here. The weather's perfect year-round. And you'll be so close to the ocean, so close to the mountains. And there's snow up on the mountains, but it doesn't snow down here. They didn't tell us it would get 110 degrees routinely in the summer or that traffic would be so bad that you would be sitting in it for hours on end. But anyway, they were selling us California. We, oh, mountains. Tell us about the mountains. I'm excited about mountains. I've seen them a couple of times. One time, I think, at that point in my life. Oh, I'm going to go see the mountains. Well, we're driving. We get our U-Haul. We're driving into the into the Inland Empire where we were moving to at the time. And we're looking to the north to look at the San Bernardino Mountains, the San Gabriel Mountains, the San Jacinto Mountains. And they're nowhere to be found. And I'm going, honey, they're right on the map here. <laughs> the green swath is supposed to be the national forest where the mountains are. But I don't see. Oh, wait, I see a faint outline of the top of the mountains peeking out above what I now realize is a bunch of gray and brownish haze and smogginess. They told us the mountains were so beautiful and it's like they're so close to you. But they're a distant, faint thing that's not even worth mentioning or looking at for more than one second. We were disappointed. But that's not the end of the story. <laughs> The rain would come through, the rain front would come through, the rain would come down, or the Santa Ana winds would blow. Interesting, it's pretty windy out there. You know, you know what happens in Revelation 7 when the seal of God is being placed? The winds are being held by the four angels. Yeah, to not blow on any tree. So this is not meant to be like a prophetic moment, but sometimes God speaks to us like, yeah, that wind is coming, you know? Winds of strife are coming. Um, I don't know if it's putting any of this back in the bag that we've been through in the last two years. Is this going to snowball when we don't set times and make predictions in an unwarranted fashion? But from a historical perspective, from my background and training, this is, this is a new chapter in history. Um, and and uh, it's hard to say what comes next, but we know what comes next. <laughs> it's hard to say historically from a secular perspective, but we know what's coming right around the corner. Um, the winds would blow through, clear out the air, the rain would come down, and it would be miserable while it was raining, but the next day, the sun would come out, and it had been snowing up on the mountains, and I'm like, oh, honey, come to the front window, look at this, we've never seen anything like this. They moved the mountains like 90% closer, it looks like. It's filled with snow, like a million times more beautiful than that, right, in these silly little pictures, but we were so blown away by the closeness and the beauty of the mountains. You know, the Bible says God is not far from each one of us. And it says that he wants to send the latter rain and that he said to Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit blows where he pleases. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So when God comes in with his spirit and clears out what's between us and him, you get it? Then his character, his beauty, his goodness is beheld. And we can't stop. We can't help but think of him, look to him, and speak of him. Because his goodness is manifest in our lives that much more marked of a way. So what's in our lives that needs to get removed? We've got to ask for the Holy Spirit. It's one of those prayers that's guaranteed to be answered, by the way. It's like a child asks his dad for bread. 
Remember that one? Dad's going to give the bread. And how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's not going to give you a stone for lunch. He's not going to not give you the Holy Spirit. And, and God is love. And the third person of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. I'm quoting from the Desire of Ages, if anybody has any issues with that. That's from the Desire of Ages. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Um, so, and God is love. So God's going to come with his love. And you know what that means? All the grace and mercy and patience and affirmation. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He says that to us. Because we have the righteousness of Christ. Like, I don't deserve to hear that. But what he said to Jesus at the baptism, he says to us. All that wonderful love of God. And another aspect of God's love that I didn't name yet in my little checklist, which sometimes we don't like to hear about as much. It says in the... Did you know the word love is mentioned one time in the message to the church of Laodicea? Do you believe the character of God is an important message in the last days? It's huge. It's the end of the great controversy. God is love, God is love, beginning and end. When, when he is, that's what the great controversy is over, is what is God's character. I mean, that, that is huge. It is the meta-narrative of our faith. It's all about God's character. And, and his law, which is a reflection of his character. So, um, the word love is mentioned one time in the message to the last day church. And it's not only about this. Those are, those are the meat of it. But there is an aspect of God's love that every parent knows who's tried to lead their children in the way of the Lord. And it says, those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. Did you know that it says in the great controversy, spiritualism dwells on love as the chief attribute of God's character. Like, ooh, this is going to get tricky. Because love is the chief attribute of God's character. Spiritualism dwells on love as the chief attribute of God's character while denying his law and his authority. When we, when we say, okay, Lord, give it to me. Your Holy Spirit, all your love. I need your forgiveness. I've been messed up. I need that encouragement to know that I'm not cut off, that I am valued and beloved by you, and give it to me straight. What do I need to change? Rebuke, chasten, whatever I need to hear to get me ready to see you in the fullness, now, the closeness, and then to be able to stand in the consuming fire. Let's close with a hymn. I don't know which one we're going to sing. Ah, there it is. Beautiful. Three eighteen, three one eight. Complete sacrifice, 
I give up myself and whatever I know. Now wash me and I shall be wider than snow. Wider than snow, yes, wider than snow. Now wash me and I shall be wider than snow. Lord Jesus, for this a most humbling entry, I wait in sin for the good crucifix I feel. By faith for my cleansings, I see thy blood flow. Now wash me and I shall be wider than snow. Wider than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, though see I have passed every way. Come now without To those who have sold thee, thou never canst know. Now wash me, and I shall be wider than snow. Wider than snow, yes, wider than snow. Now wash me, and I shall be Prayer with you guys as we close. Um, we're going to convene for a meal and then for more time together this afternoon. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea about the, uh, I don't know if anybody was watching the clock, but the uh, abnormal length of the sermon this morning. We will end this afternoon, this early evening, if you want to call it that, on time, because uh, I have an interest in that myself with a drive, drive ahead. So uh, I do hope you come to the afternoon session and learn about conformed to the counterfeit reality. Eye-opening stuff. I saved some of the more hard-hitting info for the afternoon, but um, we need a break first, a meal together. And I see that the afternoon session starts at 3, and I wonder if folks are interested in 2.30 having a little Q&A. If they're done eating, like an optional Q&A, is that something? Or do you have other things going on at 2.30? That would be good? Okay, okay. Because I anticipate I'll be done and, and back. Okay. So if you'd like to attend a Q&A, optional. If you need to go home and come back, and we'll, we'll start at 3. You'll, you'll still be able to get here if you're quick. But um, that would be good, a little Q&A at 2.30. But for now, um, the Lord has spoken to all of our hearts in his own unique way and our own unique path. And so let's just all respond to that with, Yes, Lord. I mean, I don't even need to make an appeal. He's already made it to our hearts. Let's, let's answer that in the affirmative. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of following you. We thank you that when we taste and see, we will know even more that you are good and that you follow through with every promise in your word and that we, we don't need to fear and we can walk in faith and trust. And whatever you've asked us to do to, to remove and even more importantly to fill our time with, Lord, we want to have more of you, more joy, more service, more urgency of the times to win souls, more love for souls, and more love for Jesus. That is our desire. Now, please baptize us with your Holy Spirit. 
Send us your Holy Spirit to lead us in the way everlasting, even to rebuke and chasten where we need that. But most of all, to draw us to behold the face of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.